0: Well, good morning, uh, Christ City Church, East Vancouver. With your Bibles open, let's read our text together, and then I'll pray. Matthew 7, 1-6, Jesus says this. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, we desire to hear from you this morning. We desire to have our lives not only with you, but with one another uh, as the church just changed in this season, uh, refined in this season. So, Father, I pray that you would do that work by your spirit as we submit ourselves and sit under your glorious and holy and precious word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every time we open God's Word, a tremendous dynamic is taking place in the hearts of, of every person, believer or not. As some of us think that reading our Bibles is a bit uh, like an intellectual exercise. Like reading anything, it's, a, it's an exercise in understanding, in, in mastery, in context and, and grammar, and all leading to overarching uh, ideologies and, and, and themes. But if all that's happening when you read your Bible is is intellectual or theoretical, then why was Jesus crucified? Uh, why, Why does the Sermon on the Mount end with the emotive, the emotional, and they were astonished at his teaching? And not merely, and they understood or comprehended what Jesus was saying. Consider Paul Peter, John, and countless others throughout history who were met with such violent persecution, such uh, visceral responses from those they proclaimed the gospel to. If, if God's Word is a mere intellectual exercise in understanding, why those responses? No, no, God's Word always, always involves and moves in our hearts. Our text this morning, inspired by the very Spirit of God, is no different. And likely, as I was reading the text, as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, it has awoken something in your heart. And, and, and very likely, your heart well ahead of your brain, has taken this portion of the sermon and run with it into a particular direction. And here's just two obvious directions that I've encountered in my ministry and in my own heart as well. The first direction your heart might have taken this passage is to one of thankful relief. One of thankful relief. You heard, and Jesus rightfully said, judge not that you be not judged. And you said, thank you, God. I knew this talk of sin and holiness and obedience was just the creation of this regressive pastor and his regressive church who reads the Bible in an archaic way. And sweet relief, I don't actually have to abide by any sort of moral code, any sort of moral standard. There you have it. Jesus said it himself. Phew, what a relief. Perhaps it's one way your heart took this passage and ran with it. Maybe the other way is like this. Maybe your heart didn't go there. Instead, if judge not, lest you be judge, uh, is the largest and most liberating verse for the person who does not like sin talk, who has a live and let live kind of attitude. It is maybe, for some others of you, the smallest uh, fastest verse you skip past, most obscure verse for the person who is uber-critical. Uh, this person is, is a self-declared, and you know, you know who you are, discernment person. Uh, as a pastor, uh, you're always eager to see the discernment person come up and talk to you uh, after your sermon. Like many of our texts in this series, Jesus' words in this passage will penetrate and convict both the irreligious, the, the live and let live, and the very religious, the, the uber-critical among us. And, and we'll arrive this morning, Lord willing, we arrive this morning at, at a place that none of us would have come to uh, naturally or intuitively. And here's how we're going to see and look at our passage this morning. Three points they will be on the screen. What Jesus is not saying what Jesus is saying. And then finally and thirdly, where I hope we arrive is a community shaped by love. So first, church scattered around the city. Let me encourage you to physically pick up your Bibles, physically pick up your Bibles right now and read with me Matthew 7:1 to 2. I also know at this point there are some kids who are listening in on the sermons, which is fantastic. Kids, I want you to listen, and as you hear words, and as you have questions about our text today, and, and the Word of God that we're going to listen to and seek to obey, make sure you ask your parents about those, and they can even send an email to me at jake at So Matthew 7, 1-2, the whole family, whoever's listening, let's read that together. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. First thing we want to see is what is Jesus not saying? What is he not saying in this passage? That Jesus is not saying, this is how I'll answer it, as Don Carson so elegantly puts it, and I'll be up front with my answer here, that disciples of Jesus are to be amorphous, undiscerning blobs, who never, under any circumstances whatsoever, hold any opinions about right and wrong. If there is a Bible verse that your non-Jesus-following co-workers know, it's likely Matthew 7, 1-2. Uh, if there is a verse that Christians get thrown at them as they try to take stands on certain ethical positions, it's probably Matthew 7, verses 1-2. to 2. Is Jesus saying effectively, you do you, who am I to say otherwise? Is that what Jesus is saying? And I think many of you would know that the answer is is no. But I think it's important that we understand why, why Jesus is saying that. Uh, The word for judge in our text this morning is one that in the original language uh, can really span a whole scope uh, of meaning, a whole wide uh, array of meaning. It can mean to discern or wisely judge positively. It can mean to condemn, either condemn wisely and appropriately or condemn in the the negative sense. Uh, Really negatively, this word judge can also be in reference to judging unfairly or, or being overly critical, overly judgmental. And the work that all Bible readers have to decide is how we're going to understand this word in this context. See, that's one of the tools we've been given. How do we understand this passage as it exists, not only in its immediate context, the Sermon on the Mount, but also in Matthew's Gospel, and even beyond that, in in an entire Bible? So let's look there. If we consider Matthew 7-1 just in view of the rest of Matthew's Gospel, we quickly see that Jesus surely can't mean that we are to make no judgments at all. Let let me show you. In Matthew 7, 15 to 20, just following this, still in the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to follow Jesus in judging who is a false prophet and who is not a false prophet, who is a wolf and who is a sheep. Uh, In Matthew 10, 11 to 15, just a few chapters from here, the disciples need to discern or judge who is worthy for them to stay with and for them to preach the gospel to. Now, we could keep on going. There are more and more and more examples in Matthew and numerous more examples of judging and discerning rightly throughout the rest of the scriptures. Our context tells us, indeed, the rest of Scripture tells us that Jesus is not calling us to be amorphous, undiscerning blobs. In fact, if you look at verse 6, our text confirms this. Look at Matthew 7, verse 6 again with me. This this strange passage. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What does this passage mean? Well, in the middle of a sermon that will change the world, Jesus is already looking ahead to when his disciples will bring this message to the whole world. And that means they will bring this message to people who will reject it. They will bring a holy and priceless message, like a pearl, to people who will respond with violence. And Jesus is, in effect, saying, anticipating this response, that there comes a point when we need to discern or judge if we should move on in our preaching, if we should move on from these people in our ministry. Now, I don't think verse 6 is some awkward addition to our text this morning. Rather, I think it's intended to act as an immediate counterbalance to those who would read Jesus' words in verses 1 through 5 as advocating for an undiscerning and thus unwise way of being in this world. A a way of being in this world that would totally be at odds with the entirety of the rest of of, of Scripture, and especially the wisdom literature. Before we move on even further, though, I just want to take a moment and speak to those of you who are listening and watching who aren't followers of Jesus. Can we just be honest for a moment? Even for those of us who would say we have a live and let live attitude, for those of us who love the verse, judge not that you be not judged, you don't actually live that way. All of us, all the time, are making judgments. All of us are making judgments big and small in our life. Ironically, we we make judgments all the time when we judge someone to be judgmental or to be not welcoming or accepting as as we are. We're all living within this overall framework of of judgments. And so let's not pretend that we're above that or, or, or beyond that. We're all confined to that world. In fact, it's inescapable. No, Jesus does not command us to throw out the entire business of judging altogether. And if that's true, if that's what Jesus is not saying, then our logical question next is, what is Jesus saying in our passage today? Bible's open. Let's read Matthew 7, 1 to 2 again. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. In in our immediate context, Jesus is still concerned with unpacking for us the greater righteousness of the Sermon on the Mount, the greater righteousness indeed that every Jesus follower is to live into, is to embody. And we just finished a section on that greater righteousness in relation to our Heavenly Father. And now Jesus turns and once again asks us to consider this greater righteousness in relation one to another, in relation one to another as the church, the body of Christ. And and having just seen and, and just clearly shown that Jesus is not commanding us to be undiscerning or unwise, ignorant of good and evil, we must then conclude that as he uses this word judge, he is prohibiting among his people He's prohibiting among us, his church, his body, the kind of judging that is unfair, harsh, and overly critical. Jesus prohibits judgmentalism in its truest sense. That's what he's talking about in our text today. Let me show you how one scholar has translated this passage, and perhaps it will make things uh, more clear for you. Uh, Jonathan Pennington, a scholar we've referenced numerous times in this series, translates Matthew 7, 1 to 2 like this. Do not judge unfairly, lest you be judged the same way. For by the kind of judgment with which you judge others, you will be judged. And with whatever measure you measure to others, it will also be measured to you. Notice that first line. Do not judge unfairly. That's what Jesus is talking about today. He's talking about those of us who are judgmental. He's talking about those of us who have what we have called a critical spirit. And he's talking to all who do those things, who are those people within the context, within the confines of the community of God's kingdom people. God's kingdom people. Now, I would like to think I would like to think that this word and this text and this passage is for a different church, a different group of people. But we know, we know that that is not true. The church of Jesus, what is supposed to be the most loving place, the most loving people on all the earth, is often found to be the most critical place, the most unfairly judging place. If the sin of the world is a failure to pronounce right from wrong, the sin of the church is to think ourselves above being wrong. It's to confuse ourselves, the people of God, with God himself. And the illustration that Jesus gives in our text is one that might be familiar to many of us, but I invite you now to consider Matthew 7, 3-5 afresh to put yourself in the shoes of that brother, that sister who has the log in their eye. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, 3 to 5, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, that's a word we're familiar with, first take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You and I, even in Christ, even as followers of Jesus, have a tremendous capacity, a tremendous capacity for self-deception. For thinking ourselves to be above and beyond and past and better than and more enlightened, more holy than our brother and sister. That self-deception is what Jesus here calls hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And it's articulated really clearly by Paul in Romans uh, 2, verse 1. He says this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself. Because you, why do you condemn yourself? Why do you stand condemned? Because you, the judge... Practice the very same things. If you want further reading today, you can head to 2 Samuel 12 and there find the story of David and Bathsheba. David, who at this point in the story has committed murder and adultery, he loses it on the prophet Nathan when he's told this this fictional parable about a a rich man who steals a sheep from a poor man. And this is the definition of hypocrisy. We do this, Log in our eye, David, big fat log in his eye, and yet there's a speck in this fictional person's eye, and he loses it. The the question we have to go to now is where do we go from here? Maybe like me, you felt that this is perhaps a bit hopeless, that our hearts are so inclined to being critical, so inclined to judging others, that, that surely there's no way out of this. Surely there's no way beyond this. If Jesus is not suggesting that we act as amorphous, undercerning blobs, and he's also prohibiting us from sitting in God's seat and pronouncing condemnation as if we sit on a throne, how should we relate to one another? How do we live in this tension? How can we navigate this time wisely? To answer this question, here's what I want us to see in closing. Above all else, the church is called to be a community shaped by love. Shaped by love. The the opposite of critical, judgmental posturing, the the kind that Jesus prohibits in our text today, is humble, self-aware, and self-giving love. And to do that, to to be these people, we must see that we are first a community of love received, or, or maybe better put, a community where love has invaded. As one Christian psychologist writes, a familiar Christian hymn states, that as I come to God, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. How deeply I resent this fact. How desperately I want to be able to contribute something to the deal. My faith, my effort, my love, my belief. But the bottom line is that perfect love meets me where I am and asks only that I open my heart and receive the love for which I long. Some of us, some of us, and I know this struggle, are harsh and critical with others because the God we worship is harsh and critical with us. Exacting. Demanding relentless, nitpicky. But that is not how God our Father has truly revealed Himself to us. Instead, God's perfect love, a love that has always existed within the three persons of the Trinity, overflows like a fountain, overflows in the sending forth of Jesus. And if the Father sends the Son for our salvation, the Apostle Paul makes this argument He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In love, we have received, free of charge, graciously, mercifully, we have received all things in Jesus. Wicked, desperate, broken, hurt people like you and me have received everything. And maybe you are harsh and critical this morning because you have forgotten that. You've forgotten what Paul calls the gospel of grace, the gospel of unmerited earning, the gospel of God's lavish love. The dynamic at work in any healthy Christian community, any healthy church, is firstly a deep, And constant reminder that God has acted towards us in love. That God our Father has not written us off, but he's loved us. And from this place and from here, the community of loved received moves to being a community of love expressed or love shared. Now the church in Corinth was a judgmental and critical church with all sorts of hierarchies uh, built into their thinking. And what they were missing, what they needed, was to have their entire community shaped by the greatest gift the Father gives us, his love in the person of Jesus. In a passage typically misquoted at weddings about marriage, Paul exhorts the church in Corinth to love like this. Now we're going to leave the text of that passage up on the screen as we close. And I'm going to ask you to ask yourself two questions. Two questions, then I'll leave some time for quiet reflection, and then I'll pray at the end. Here are the two questions I want to leave you with this morning. First is this. How have I judged my brothers and sisters unfairly or critically in this season? Have I been a voice of love in the church or a voice of criticism? A a voice of harsh judgmentalism? Applying to them a standard which I do not uphold myself? That's the first question. The second one is this. Really simply, how can I move towards my brother's and sisters in love in this season? How can I move towards my brothers and sisters in love in this season? Let's spend some time in quiet reflection, and then I'll pray. Father, I thank you that you send your spirit and you've sent your spirit to dwell in each one of us who proclaims your son as king. And he now, your spirit, he convicts us now. And he convicts me now. I thank you that he not only shows us the ways in which we have not loved, the ways in which we have been critical and judgmental, I thank you though, he also reminds us of the gospel, both for ourselves, that we have the assurance of faith, that we're still still the fathers, but also this good news that we are to share and express to others. Father, I thank you for the ways that we have been a community shaped by love in this season, shaped by your love. I pray, Father, that we would continue to be a community shaped by love in this coming season. That what the Apostle Paul says of love that comes from above in 1 Corinthians 13 would be true of us. That that would be our love within ourselves as a body. And we pray this in in the, the glorious, the precious, the holy, the priceless name of your son Jesus. Amen.